This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hey, it's Mariner's Pod. Thanks for being here once again. It is great to have you here after a couple of really excellent days in Oakland and off day today. We'll review what happened against the A's. We'll take a peek ahead at the Royals coming up this weekend. Also coming up later in this podcast, you may have heard Aaron Goldsmith talking about this on the television broadcast yesterday. Ray Fossey, our thoughts with the Longtime Oakland A's broadcaster, longtime player in the major leagues, former Seattle Mariners, as a matter of fact. He has uh, stepped away from the broadcast booth to battle cancer. Our thoughts are with Ray Fossey, and you may have heard Aaron talk about some of the interviews he handed over to me a couple spring trainings ago, and one of them with Dave Niehaus. And we don't have, it's the only interview we have where we have a million, as you can imagine, of Dave Niehaus interviewing others. We don't have interviews with Dave Niehaus being the subject. So Ray Fossey kindly handed me a Dave Niehaus interview uh, a couple of years ago, and Aaron was talking about it on the broadcast yesterday. So I thought I would play that at the end of this podcast. So that will come up at the end. In the meantime, we have a lot to cover. It was a very eventful two games in Oakland. The Mariners taking on the A's, and you knew it was a big swing series coming into it. Just two games, but the Mariners were three games back of the A's heading into this series. It means they could be five back at the end of two games or one back at the end of two games. So clearly, clearly (laughs) a big swing series, and it was... A very interesting series. The Mariners in game one did not have much going offensively against Oakland. They did have Mitch Hanniger going in the sixth inning, though. Here's 1-1 to Mitch. Gomes sets up outside the pitch. Breaking ball, swing on, driven deep to left. Center field. Giddy up, gone. Two-run homer. Mitch Hanniger, and we got a tie ball game at 2-2. So a tight ball game at 2-2 at that point, but the Mariners would give up a run. It would be 3-2 in the ninth inning, but Ty France does what Ty France does. The stretch and the pitch. Swing and a well-hit ball. Into right center field. Back of the ball, Marte to the warning track to the wall, and goodbye baseball. Ty France does it again. He ties up the ball game with an opposite field home run. Holy smokes, it's the Mariners' three. And the A's three here in the ninth. Ty France did it yesterday in Houston. He tied the ball game in the ninth inning in that one. Mariners weren't done there either as Jake Bowers would come through with the winner. Here's the set and the next off on the way. Swinging a line drive into left field for a base hit. Toro will score. Fraley running third, heading home. And the throw to the plate is going to be cut off and two runs are in. Jake Bowers with a two-out, two-run single into left field. And the Mariners now lead the A's 
five to three here in the top of the ninth inning. Very typical win for the Mariners. They got good starting pitching from Marco Gonzalez. The bullpen was outstanding. They combined for three scoreless. They got the offense going late, and it was enough to get the win. So the Mariners take game one. Game two was, uh, especially in the context of the last couple weeks for the Mariners, this was just kind of a, I don't know, a standard baseball win. Is that what we call it? Where... Starting pitching, Chris Flexen was excellent once again. Chris Flexen, he's 0-2 to Chapman. See where he goes with this pitch. It's a fastball right down the pipe, got him looking. Strike three, called inning over. Beautifully done by Chris Flexen, his fourth strikeout. He goes six and two-thirds, allows just one run. And in fact, when you look at Flexen this season, Pitchers in the American League with starts of six or more innings, allowing one earned run or fewer, there are three pitchers tied with the lead in that category that have done it 10 times. Lance Lynn, Garrett Cole, and Chris Flexen. Those are the three that have done it. He was excellent. Stecken Rider, the final two and a third to get the save. He uh, throws scoreless two and a third. Uh, the Mariners actually score early in the ball game. Jared Kelnick would add late as well for the Mariners. Here's the set. And the 0-1 pitch, swing and a fly ball into deep right center field. This one is going to be beyond the reach of Canna. On the one, he tracked it off the wall. Rounding third, heading home. Murphy will score. In at second goes Jared Kelnick with an RBI double. The Mariners add on here in the top of the eighth inning. It's now the Mariners four and the A's one. couple hits for Kelnick, drives in a couple of runs. In fact, Terence Murphy, Kelnick all with two hits apiece as the Mariners get the win 5-1. to one. Cole Irvin uh, left with a little hip injury. He gave up seven hits, three runs, and three innings against the Mariners. So Mariners take the two-game series against the Oakland A's. Why don't we get some reaction? Here's what Scott Service said after the ballgame. Yeah, what a, what a road trip. Uh, <laughs> you know, we go on and on about all the different players who stepped up uh, throughout the trip, but uh, none bigger than, than Chris Flexen today. Um, you know, going out there and, and pitching the way he has. And he's been really good for uh, the whole season, you know, and, and he just continuing to see his stuff even get better, uh, you know, going through that lineup the way he did today. Uh, and a day that we were very light in the bullpen and, um, you know, he needed to get deep. He did. He just dominated the game and, you know, we did enough offensively, uh, you know, to give him a little help, big hits and some two out hits. Uh, with runners in scoring position, they always help, but, uh, you know, Terren's got a couple, you know, big hits getting us going early. Uh, but Kelnick was right on some stuff today. You know, a couple RBIs, huge double off puck there late in the game. Um, you know, again, we, we started that whole rally there late, you know, with two out, nobody on. So, uh, you know, heck of a trip. We go six and two. Uh, I say all that. Somebody just told me our run differential was minus nine in this trip. But our fun differential was about plus 90. So we're going with that. And we're going to ride that one a little bit. So, uh, uh Great trip. Well-needed uh, day off. Kind of reset our bullpen and we get back home and get after it there. So take any questions. I don't know how you calculate fun differential. Oh, uh, if you could see the coach's room, Brian, after every game. There's a tradition that started here about two months ago, and it has, uh, it has gone on. It's turned into it's the biggest frat house you, know, you ever want to be a part of. Right up your alley, Ryan, actually. You would enjoy it. Uh, well, I'll save the beer bongs and everything for later. But um, uh, wait, wait. We'll fireball, we'll fireball. I'll always get you. <laughs> uh, Scott, 
no drop. I mean, it was a decisive win. You got to lead early. You didn't have to come back late. I mean, shouldn't that move you to tears a little bit like that as well? <laughs> Why you got to do that, Ryan? Uh, no, it's a good ball game. Solid pitching, great defense. Uh, you know, Steck giving us two and a third out of the pen. Uh, so efficient with how he does it out there. And uh, once you got the double play ball, you know, in the eighth, and you look up, you know, he's thrown about 14 or 15 pitches. You know, why not? You know, he's going to throw strikes and go right after him. So, you know, getting what we got out of him today was awesome as well. Did you, Chris, did you think Chris had to fix anything? And I mean, he hit through 20 pitches in the first inning, had to work out of a little bit of uh, traffic. But did you did you see anything there that he made an adjustment or it just was some some balls in play? No, I didn't think they hit the ball hard at all. You know, if you go back and look at the inning, um, you know, uh, oh, I, I should say can I think started out with a line out or whatever. But, uh, you know, Olsen hits him off the end of the bat. Uh, you know, Moreland, you know, kind of hits a ball through the shift. Now, he was throwing the ball fine. I really liked his stuff today. I thought it was very aggressive. But his fastball had outstanding life and his ability to command it to the glove side. Um, kind of threw some balls by some guys. And when we first signed Chris Flexen and go back to when we first saw him in spring training and early in the year to see how he has grown and how he's developed and you know, the confidence, the stuff, everything has just been awesome to, to see. And, and we've been riding him. He's been, you know, one of our most consistent guys all year long. Hey, Scott, in a nutshell, if you look at today's game, this is really uh, sort of symbolic of everything you guys really do well, right? If the starting pitching was strong, uh, Steck at the back end, a couple of key hits, not a ton of runs, but, you know, got those hits with runners in scoring position. This is a 2021 Mariners win, isn't it? Well, I'd like to say yes, Corey, but I guess if you want to define the 2021 Mariners, it's typically the come from behind, uh, chewing your nails off and uh, – you know, somebody doing some, something crazy in the ninth or 10th or 11th inning, but uh, solid win. No question about it. Uh, really happy with the way our defense is played as well. I think it goes sometimes under the radar a little bit, you know, the, turning the key double plays, making the plays when they're supposed to be made. Uh, you know, we have one error today, today, but we turn around and get a double play right after it. You know, we keep moving down the road. So uh, um, our guys are really happy. They should be. They have played their tail off all year long get in this spot and we got a lot of fun baseball ahead of us. Scott, I know you've talked a lot about the resilience of this team, but you know, coming off those two bad losses in Houston here, you, you run off a, a great streak of three, three straight wins. Is there anything more you could say about this, just the way this team can hang in there when things are, are looking bad? You know, I think the, the, the bad losses affect more of the, the fan base than they do our team. You know, quite frankly, a loss is a loss uh, and our guys wash it. And uh, they've always been able to do that um, and they don't really get too caught up in it. You know, and even, you know, we've lost some games late at times too. not many. But when we do, our guys just, you know, they just show up the next day and come to work. It's they, they really stay, do a good job of staying in the moment. Uh, again, sometimes our younger players try to get ahead of themselves a little bit. We try to slow them down. But uh, th th this group. Um, I can't say enough about it. They're so they're fun. They've got personality. They know how to play. The biggest thing, and I talked about it way back at the beginning of the season, is that we were going to continue to get better as the season went along. I, I think we have. Um, I still think there's a really good run in there for our offense. When you see games like we did today, where Kelnick is contributing and Dylan Moore gets a big hit, at least Terrence, and that bottom of the lineup, you know, and we've seen what Ty France can do, and Seegers hit his homers. But when we get that whole offense really quick, and I clicking. I think that our best baseball is still ahead of us.
Anything else for Scott? A fun differential line's your best one of the year, by the way. <laughs> yeah, and I don't know what the number on it. I'm going to go strong, you know, minus nine. I'm going to go plus 90 uh, on the trip because uh, uh, there's a lot of fun being had around here, as there should be. It's hard to win games in the big leagues, um, and, and um, we're doing it, and we're enjoying it. This guy was going to ask you, I mean, and I was going to ask you yesterday or this morning, but is it weird? I mean, like, you know, there's only 4,000 fans here. This is a team that you guys have battled with and you've seen what it's like here uh, when it can be rocking and it can be crazy. What, how different was that to play in and, and kind of what are your thoughts? I know the A's are going through a, a stadium situation, but, you know, you guys have played some epic battles here over the years where the crowd has just been insane. Yeah, it's a little bit different. Again, it's it's a uh, you know on Monday night they just came off a big series against you know, the crosstown rivals, the Giants, where they did have forty thousand people in here. I think it's kind of what we expected. So, and again, keep in mind, you know, we're a very young team. Uh, they don't really pay attention too much. Of, is there thirty five thousand in there, or is there ten or fifteen thousand in there? They really don't. They're focused on the game and, and trying to keep their head above water and make adjustments along the way. So. You know, I think those are cool things to write about. Players don't really feel it. I know our team doesn't. You know, maybe be different with a veteran team, but our guys just show up trying to figure out how to win a ball game. But you expect to be more than 5,000 people when you get to T-Mobile on Thursday night, I would imagine. Uh, I'm sure our crowd will be, uh, you know, excited uh, to see us and get back home. And we've got some tough series ahead of us. You know, there's some teams that are playing very well that are coming in. So um, it's never easy. It shouldn't be. It's hard to win in the big leagues, but uh, that's the fun of it. You know, there's nothing better than winning, um, you know, in this league. And like I said, our guys got a really happy clubhouse, happy flight home, and welcome day off tomorrow. Just one more. Did you do you think? Are you seeing an attachment with fans with the way this team plays because of the energy, the late inning stuff? Are you seeing an attachment with home fans that kind of grows, has grown? I, I hope so. Um, I think this is what we talked about organizationally. You know, when, when we were going to do a little step back here a few years ago. And I think I made the comment at, at one point, you know, like these players, as they come up, you know, and you get to see them grow and, you know, the personalities and what is Jared Kelnick really like? What is J.P. Crawford really like? Okay, we got Mitch Hanniger, you know, as you look, who's Ty France, you know, Logan Gilbert, who all of a sudden the jerseys that start showing up on our fans, now they have those guys' numbers and names on them. And then when you go through a rebuild, it takes a little while to get there. That's what excites me. And it should excite our fan base because these are players that they can grow up with. They were there the first time they saw this player do something special, you know, in the big leagues with the Mariners. So that's, that's what it's about uh, when you do start over. Uh, we still got a ways to go. There's no question about it. But this is what we talked about a few years ago. And, um, you know, our whole organization uh, deserves a ton of credit, um, as does our players. Those are the ones that are getting it done every day. But – we stayed true to our process, and we're going to continue to do it. You know, you're going to stay disciplined. Discipline's the shortcut. We talked about it two or three years ago, and, you know, we're going down that path. And how about Chris Flexen, who pitched so well for the M's? Obviously, being effective and being efficient is what gets me deep into the games, and that's what ends up helping the bullpen out there. Did you feel like he got stronger as he went through? I mean, like, I know, I know you threw a lot of pitches in the first. I mean, not a ton of hard contact, but did you feel like he got stronger? And how is this chess match with the A's? you got to play him a ton. You know, a lot of the, the top five guys have seen you a ton. So how is that chess match going? Yeah, I mean, uh, they've, they've gotten me a couple times before. Um, you know, like you said, it's a chess match. You know, it's, a, it's always a back and forth, continuing the battle and trying to figure uh, those guys out to get outs. Um, you know, it's throughout the game. 
I mean, I felt I felt pretty strong throughout. You know, I, I'd say I go through spurts where wasn't as strong, and then you're able to you know dig deep and, and uh, you know, hit that second win a little bit, and uh, you know, I was able to kind of dig there a little at the end. There. Hey, Chris, I know a a good catcher can help bring out the best in the pitcher, whether that's you know you know, patting him on the back or maybe kind of challenging him a little bit. What has Tom meant to you as you sort of reacclimated yourself to the big leagues this year and how important has he been to your success? He's been phenomenal. Um, you know, he's putting in the time, the work to study these hitters, to study, you know, game plan. We're having those conversations about what we think on individual hitters. Um, even uh, even last night, we were we were having that conversation with Doug out a little bit on uh, you know our upcoming game, and uh, you know, and I'm talking to both guys. You know, I have those conversations with Cal as best I can, but um, you know, I know Murphs have, have taught me more recently, and uh, I mean, I can't say enough good things about him. He's been tremendous. He keeps me in the ball game. You know, challenges me, we challenge each other, and uh, you know, really, really is good at executing our game plan and, and making adjustments when we need to as well. Chris, did the Hulk want to come out there when you when you walk? Did that walk in the in the seventh and had to come out of the game? Uh, it was frustrating, but no, no, the Hulk did not want to come out there. I, I, I wasn't on that level, but yeah, I mean, I was I, mean, I was disappointed that I wasn't able to finish there. But uh, you know, turn the ball over the bullpen there and stack and hell of a job finishing it out as well. You know, bailed me out of the jam there in the seventh and you know continued to finish strong. The Mariners now. They beat the A's 5-1. to one. They sweep the two-game series. Off day today. So, unfortunately, the Red Sox able to hold on and win a wild one last night against the Twins. Man, 11-9 uh, and nine was the final score. Too bad Minnesota couldn't get that one. Here's what the Mariners are looking at. You have Tampa, Houston, White Sox leading the divisions. Yankees, who have won 11 straight, holding the first wild card. The Red Sox, who've won two in a row. They have the second wild card at 72 and 55. The Mariners now a game back of Oakland who have lost four in a row. Mariners have won three in a row. They're three games back of the Red Sox. Toronto now five and a half back from Boston, two and a half back behind the Mariners. So Toronto's got to play the White Sox coming up this weekend, which is going to be rough, obviously. Mariners will take on the Royals. Oakland will have the Yankees for four, and Boston will continue their series against Minnesota. Let me be accurate. Uh, the Blue Jays continue their series with the White Sox. They have two more, and then the Tigers coming up over the weekend. So that's how uh, the Toronto weekend lines up. Boston, we've talked about their schedule a little bit, and it's unfortunate the way the Yankees are playing baseball that the Red Sox don't meet the Yankees more here down the stretch. It's weird that they're basically done. There's a series left in September, but that's it. So if you're wondering about the Boston schedule coming up, they have two more against the Twins today and tomorrow. They have Cleveland this weekend for three. They start next week against the Rays. Cleveland on the road, Rays on the road as well to start next week. And then we duck into September to four-gamer against the Rays. They come back home, face Cleveland again, and then the Rays come back again. Now circle this one. Be thinking about this one. Road trip for Boston, starting the 10th of September. They play the White Sox for three in Chicago. Then they come to Seattle for three. I would start to circle that, and especially when you're thinking about what games you want to want to attend in September. 
You should circle 13th, 14th, and 15th of September as the Mariners will take on the Red Sox at T-Mobile Park, which could have massive implications depending on how the next few days play out. And of course, the next couple weeks play out, I guess, to be more accurate. Now, the Mariners will take on the Kansas City Royals for four. Royals have given the Houston Astros a really tough time as of late. Uh, They lost yesterday to the Astros, but they took a series uh, three games to one recently. So they've given uh, the Astros everything they want. The Mariners, this is the first time they've played uh, Kansas City this year, and they will play them on the road in September as well. Uh, So they have four games starting against Kansas City, starting Thursday. So Thursday through Sunday, four-game series, and it's going to be a big one. Thursday, 7-10 first pitch. Friday, 7-10 as well. Saturday, day baseball, 1-10. And Sunday, 1-10 as well. Then the Astros after that for three games as it's a seven-game homestand between the Royals and the Astros. We'll see what the Mariners can do. We'll talk about that more as we move through this week on Mariners Pod, but that gives you a quick overview of what's coming up. In the meantime, let's take a listen to a classic. This is Ray Fossey with the great Dave Niehaus. We're happy to be joined by the newest member of the Hall of Fame, Ford Frick winner for 2008. That is Dave Niehaus, and Dave couldn't be happier for you. Being in the Hall of Fame, you're wearing this jacket proudly. I hope you wear it 365 days a year, but kind of take us back to a month ago and the weekend of enjoying the Hall of Fame for you. Really, I'm still waiting for somebody to pinch me and tell me it's a dream. That really didn't happen. That's what it was like. It was ethereal. I I got there on a Thursday, and and I had to leave after uh, the induction ceremonies on Sunday because I had to get to uh, Albany to catch a flight to go down to Dallas to do a game the next day. But to have 56 uh, of the Hall of Famers there, the most Hall of Famers that any induction ceremony, I think only seven living members were not there. And to hobnob with them and sit around and chat and eat with them and go to parties with them and be in places that other people couldn't go with them was a dream of any baseball fan's life, let alone broadcaster. But to be able to go to the Hall of Fame and go down in the catacombs and see some of the great artifacts that people don't get to see uh, was, was, a, was a thrill. Uh, Reggie Jackson gave me some very sound advice uh, when we were in playing the Yankees over Memorial Day weekend. I asked him, what was it like being up there? And he said, just don't turn around. Don't turn around. You'll be so intimidated that you'll melt. And then sure enough, the Saturday night, going to a party with all these guys, Wade Boggs and Bill Mazeroski and Phil Necro, all is you're going to cry, you're going to cry, you're going to cry. And I remember Maz's speech in 2001. Mm-hmm. Last about 35 seconds, mm-hmm. he sat down, he melted like, you know, butter. And I said, Maz, I can inhale and my speech will be longer than yours. <laughs> so that kind of broke the tension there. But it's a funny thing how you really have not fear, but you have such trepidation about going up there mm-hmm. and, and talking and, and letting people know your emotions and letting your heart speak more than your voice and I that's exactly what I did I actually wrote that in about 15 20 minutes uh, the day before because I thought about it ever since they called me my birthday and told me that I was going to be there and I thought oh my gosh I've got to make a speech and I know same thing's going to happen to me that happened to Maz I just knew it was going to happen but all of a sudden I get up there and started talking and a, and a calmness came over me like I've never had in my life and I got through it 
you think it was your father who, as you were listening at 11 years of age, and you told the story about your father with a beverage, and you heard Harry Carey make the call, how much just thinking maybe about him that was able to calm you down? It might. It might have, because that was a true story uh, about, you know, in the hot, humid nights of Indiana, you growing up in, in Illinois, you know what I'm talking about with the lightning bugs and bugs and the mason jars and, and getting uh, <coughs> the ice pick to punch holes in them and putting those lightning bugs in there and then just kind of swishing them between their thumb and the forefinger to see what's them glow. But then to, to hear that voice come out of that floor model Zenith radio, you know, as a little kid, and, and it just carries at night anyway, it might be, it could be, it is. You, you jump three or four inches off the, off the swing or something like that. And, and as I meant, I, I was never so disappointed in my life when I went to Old Sportsman's Park, St. Louis, on my first major league game. I thought, you know, it was a Parthenon or something like that. There were gods there instead of baseball players. But uh, that's the way it all started. We are joined by Dave Niehaus, the only broadcaster, 1977, first year with the Mariners in Seattle. Dave Niehaus, who went to Baseball's Hall of Fame one month ago in the broadcaster's wing. You've been the announcer, the broadcaster for all those years. Did you think, Dave... I mean, I've thought for many, many years that you should have been in the Hall of Fame before now. Is there that thought? I know Dick Williams said, is it, maybe it's never going to happen. That ever crossed your mind? No, not at all. I didn't, I didn't think I ever would be, <laughs> first of all. I, I really didn't. I never, I never thought it ever would be. As a matter of fact, when they called me, I didn't know that it was the day that they were <laughs> going to announce the award. I didn't worry about it. I, I did know that the last couple of years I'd been mentioned as, as one of the finalists, but... Uh, you know, why worry yourself to death about it? And I didn't. So I didn't expect it. And when I got it, I was really overwhelmed with it. And so, no, it, it, it was something that that you hope that someday you, you will get. After all, it's our Academy Award, our Oscar. You can't, it, guys, it's my business. And you gotta, never can get any award, I don't think, any higher, uh, perhaps. I don't know what it would be, though. But uh, when it happened, it, you know, made me elated. Uh, but, but I never sought it. I know Dennis Eckerley said, and I think it was a good point, that you retire, you have to wait five years as a player before you're eligible, and he said that just kind of, that's the end. From your standpoint, you've been broadcasting all these years. How much, I mean, I hope you're going to broadcast for a lot, much longer, but the fact that you're in the Hall of Fame now, that's not going to slow you down, is it? No, no, I've never worked a day in my life. Why go to work? You know, I mean, <laughs> heavens no. I mean, those that are lucky enough to do this, you play, uh, you to play for a while, and now to be in this business, and and to be able to come out to a ballpark every day, no matter how good or how bad you are, you know it's only going to last for three hours, sometimes five hours, but very rarely. <laughs> Seems like some of them last for five hours. But even in a lean year like this one, there's always something that happens in a baseball game. You, you scratch your head. Have I ever seen that before? You know, there's always some little thing, some little inconsequential thing that I'm not sure I've ever seen that before and and that's after doing six seven thousand ball games so I think that's the romance of the game more than anything else to to go out and see what's going to happen tonight you brought up a very good point at the beginning of your career here in Seattle club was horrible barely you didn't play 500 and for a long time what kept you going during that period of time and more importantly to get this team get this stadium built because perhaps the 1995 season but to see the club to start to get better even though this year may not be as good as people thought well it took 15 years first of all to even get to 500 i thought realistically when i came up here from the angels in 1977 that it would take five years to be a 500 ball club or at least competitive 
uh, I was wrong. And people are there with the have-nots that said this will this is not baseball territory. And I said, hey, give them at least a club, club that's competitive. They don't have to win the division. They don't have to win the World Series. But give them a club that's competitive, and it'll be fertile baseball territory. Well, I was proven to be right in 1995, 1991. We finally broke 500. Jim Lefevre was our manager, and for doing that, he got fired. Right. And, and then Bill Plummer took over, and then Lou took over in 93, and there were 10 marvelous years with Lou Pinella, and then the 95 thing just bubbled and gurgled and, and, and was a fantasy as far as the year was concerned, and now we're back out in the desert again <laughs> looking for an oasis, but somewhere out there there's a palm tree, somewhere out there there's some water. Please get it to me. One final thought on a positive note. The nice tribute they have here, and I don't know if they're running it every day, but Marty Brenneman, Vince Scully, Joe Gargioli, Hall of Famers like yourself, how great is that to look up and know now that you're a part of that, and one day you're going to be giving congratulations to somebody who's in the Hall of Fame like you? Well, first of all, you go in that little area where they have the Mike Mann Award, which is right off of where the plaques are. And you see your picture there. You're one of 32. My picture will be all alone yeah. on the right there for one year. And then it will go down below with the rest as a new one, his name. And you look at those pictures and you think, you know, do I really belong there? Do I really belong there? And, and I, I don't know if I can really answer that. I don't know if I can really answer that. I'll answer for you, my friend. <laughs> You definitely deserve to be there. Whether you thought you were going to go or not, you should have been there a long time ago. The most important thing, you're wearing the jacket, you're in the Hall of Fame, you deserve it. Thank you, my friend. It's always great to chat with you, Ray. Thank you very much. That is Dave Niehaus, the newest member of the Broadcasters Wing of the Hall of Fame. Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on the Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based championship team.